You are listening to the On The Wrong Lead podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at wrong underscore lead, youtube.com slash on the wrong lead, and visit our website at on the wrong lead.com. Help support On The Wrong Lead by signing up for AM Wager and earn 10% back up to $500 on all Exotic and WinBets made in your first 30 days. Use our link in the podcast notes. You can also support us by buying a t-shirt or other merch at ontherunglead.com. Hello and welcome. Oh, we got to change it. There we go. Drank and Champagne, episode three. Andrew rocking the uh, on the wrong lead shirt over there. Me rocking the uh, the bear shirt. Uh, you know, took it out of retirement. Uh, you know, I could finally take the paper bag off my head this week, so that was uh, <clears throat> that was pretty nice. Uh, but uh, Andrew, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Uh, prepping for my dad's arrival here in Northern California later this weekend. We got some fun stuff planned. He's in town for a couple of days. Uh, planning a sojourn to Golden Gate Fields on Saturday. A lot of football watching on Sunday. So always good to have him here. Uh, that's always a blast. So excited about that. Excited about a couple of days of racing leading up to the Breeders' Cup. Of course, that's coming up in a week and a half as we tape this. So pre-entries will be out soon and we'll wind up drawing the races one week from today, actually, I think. Or is that on the Monday? It's the Monday or the Tuesday. I always forget which. And sometimes the ceremony seems so long that it may as well drag into two days. (laughs) Uh, How many Breeders' Cup have you been to? Oh, goodness. Let's see. So I was at 2005 at Belmont. I worked 2013 and 2014 at Santa Anita for HRTV, and I was at 2016s for TVG, so that's four. Um, I, I would be at this year's Breeders' Cup, except for you know the fact that it's 2,000 miles away and tickets cost not just an arm but a leg as well. Josh, I don't. I, I, you're planning on going, I know, but I should I like be on the lookout for you to pull a loony and let it ride and start donating blood <laughs> to fund your horse racing expenses? You know, I I kind of lucked out a little bit. Um, so I was on the fence about going. Um, I have a couple of friends going. So our our uh, our good friend Caleb is going. Um, a, a couple other guys I know were going, but they had all had decided to get tickets and separately not this wasn't like a group thing but separately they all decided we're going to get tickets in the chalet right and they were like i think it's like sixteen hundred dollars for the two days and uh like caleb i think got them for his dad's like birthday like it was a a big birthday gift Uh, a couple of the other guys they just kind of wanted to splurge and so i was like well i'm definitely not looking like this is a last minute thing for me like and this was even a couple months ago. This was kind of after my Saratoga trip got canceled. I was like, all right, I got this PTO back. You know, uh, once November hits at work, it starts to slow down a lot. So they like really encourage a lot of people take PTO in November, December, January. Um, and so it's just kind of like going back and forth. Do I want to go? Do I not want to go? Um, luckily, Caleb had some extra room in his Airbnb. And he's like, hey, like you can just come stay with us. And I was able to get some general admission tickets. I was on the fence of going, though, because, like I said, everyone was sitting in the nice areas. But then I started seeing people on Twitter who I knew getting general admission. Uh, Our good friend Mike, uh, Mr. Gorgonzola, he's going. He's going to be general admission. So I was like, all right, at least I won't be by myself. I'll be able to find people to be with. I'm sure if I put something out on Twitter, other people contacted me. I also saw that uh, Failed the Menace. Um, Matthew, he's also going to be there. So I'm, 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 yeah, I'm really excited to meet him up. So, um, yeah, so it looks like there's going to be a lot of people there in in GA. So I'm not going to be slumming it completely. So it'll be a good time. Um, but yeah, it kind of came together last minute. And then I was like scrambling to find tickets. And luckily Caleb knew a guy who was trying to get rid of a Friday ticket for a little bit less than what face value was. And, um, my other friend, Steven had a friend trying to get rid of a ticket for a little bit over face value, but the two of them combined ended up being less than what, if I would have bought them straight from Breeders' Cup. So, so that was nice. Um, it, it was good to, you know, kind of get that out of the way, you know, got that planned. I'll, I'll drive, I'm going to drive down Thursday. Um, and I think we're, uh, the plan right now for next week, uh, for Breeders' Cup is we're going to do Wednesday to preview Friday's card. 
And then Thursday, Caleb and I from the Airbnb are going to try and record. Uh, How's your Mark. internet there? We'll find out. We'll see. We, like that's that's the plan right now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, I'll I'll bring my uh, my mobile recording setup, which is just basically a MacBook with. Um, I have a, a better camera. I have a, a good microphone. So Caleb, we'll figure it out. But. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. First time I'll be at Breeders' Cup. This will be like the third time I've been to Keeneland. I was there earlier this year, and I was there last fall. So uh, it seems like it's becoming a thing, especially now that I can, you know, I know how, how long of a drive it is. It's it's not terrible. It's six hours-ish, um, which can get – which is like right at the cusp of where you start to think about flying. But um, – I mean, I think it's just going to, it's going to be way cheaper for me to drive. So. Yeah. I hear you there. Now, uh, as somebody that's done the Southern California to Northern California drive a couple of times, that's a little under six hours and yeah, it's quicker to fly, but at the same time, I'm one of those rare demonic people that doesn't mind the drive up the five freeway, which goes through central California and whatever, just because I like being able to just sit back, relax, set the cruise control and go. You can't really set the cruise control in many opportunities in California for more than a couple of minutes with hmm. traffic bottling up everywhere. So I don't mind the opportunities, but yeah, six hours seems about right. I'm jealous. I'm supposed to go to Keeneland in April of 2020. The world broke. I had to cancel everything. Was very, very not happy about that. Need to get to Keeneland. Never been to Kentucky, and you've never been to California either. So you know the evens out. We, but, we probably should. We probably should both like plan to rectify that in the next year or two. Like, yeah, certainly for sure. <laughs> uh, at the very least, in the in the very very near future. But yeah, Keeneland's meet still going on, of course, with the Breeders' Cup a week and a half away. We were looking for some stuff to talk about on this show, and as it turned out, fate was very kind to us because nobody picked six on Sunday at Keeneland, leading to a carryover of a little more than $30,000 in Wednesday's pick six pool. As a reminder, and this is one of the reasons I was thrilled to go through this sequence, $1 minimum bet with the Keeneland pick six. Josh, I don't know about you, I love that. I think it allows a lot of people to come in with a little bit more coverage for not quite as much money as if it was a $2 ticket, but nowhere near as gimmicky as some of the 10 or 20 cent varieties that you see around the country with the rainbows and the jackpots and whatnot. I think it's a perfect balance. I know there are some hardcore pick six players who are going, it's supposed to be a big boy bet. It should be $2. But at the same time, that does sort of rule out the player that'll spend 80 to $100 on a ticket without a lot of meaningful coverage. You bring that down to a dollar, you can put together a ticket that doesn't break the bank and that you can at least have some confidence in. What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually really like it because a $2 bet I am not bankrolled for uh, to play consistently. I would play the uh the carryovers occasionally like you know santa anita when they were still two dollars i would play the carryovers then um and then i think uh the same thing with new york when they were two dollars because is new york new york's a dollar now too as yeah, well new right? york's is down to a buck yeah yeah so i know they new york tried the uh the jackpot thing for a little bit and i think it did, just didn't go as well um as they they hoped um you know i'm one of the people that you know Jackpot wagers are player unfriendly, right? But I think when Gulfstream was the only one doing it, it kind of had that nice. It kind of had that um, uh, like mystique to it a little bit, right? Like because it was unique. It was the the only one doing it. Like yeah, like you do the math, it's not good. But like those carryover day, like it was cool. But then all of a sudden, everybody started doing the rainbow thing, and it's just kind of like look, like. One or two tracks doing it, like, okay, fine. But once it started becoming the norm, I think I think that's really when players started really fighting back. And, and, and it seems like at least uh, New York and, and Kentucky have kind of, uh, you know, kept it. I mean, Churchill obviously has still got the 20 cent, but Churchill's probably the most player-friendly because I think their blended takeout is somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, 19 to 21 or 22% with the, with the carryover. So, like... 
It's not great, but it's still less of a take than most places like Trifecta or Exacta. So right, or Naira's new pick four, which is twenty four. So yeah, it's just it's one of those instances where look, we know you're running a business. We understand there are bills to pay. Just keep things on the level and don't make the horse player pay for everything when horse players are a dwindling breed, especially with sports betting on the horizon. Just should be simple. Isn't simple. Thanks racing. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's, let's take a look at this pick six here. Uh, it's a good up- sequence. And Josh, before we get started, I want to point out, I wouldn't be surprised if it carries again. Yeah, that's what you told me that before um, before we started there. And of course, I took a big gulp of water uh, as you were saying. Yeah, we really that, but... timed that well. Yeah. It's our third episode. We're still working the kinks out. But um, yeah, I, um, you know, I kind of had a pretty skinny ticket. Um, I still need to add it up here. And so I'll do that near the end. I know you, you kind of sent your ticket to me ahead of time. Um, but this first race here, we're going to be going six furlongs, Phillies and Mares, uh, three year old and up. 75k claimers uh we got a field of eight here your morning line favorite is the two argumental and um you know upon first pass i kind of landed on the two as a single in the spot um it's kind of tough to single any of these horses um you got a couple of first time starters um you know you got mostly and the rest of the horses are all sitting in that same level it's no one's really no one's dropping i think you got a couple one horse at least uh moving up in class um but uh i kind of landed here on the two argumental it seems like it's been very popular in the claim box um you know claimed uh you know started off in or uh, main special weight got claimed got claimed and then finally uh did not get claimed this last time out so this is a second time with michael maker uh, Michael Maker is uh, 21%, second off the claim, is getting Luis Saez aboard. Looks like they haven't been the best connection uh, as of the last two months, only winning at 7% in the last two months. But I see a horse that I think wants to be forwardly placed. You get Luis Saez aboard. Um, I think that that's a plus anytime you, you want a horse to be aggressively ridden. Um, like I said, Mike Maker is great, second off the claim. Um, so I. The connections make sense to me here. This looks like the fastest horse on paper. This looks like a horse that's going to get out there on the engine early. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to single the two here. Uh, you also like the two, but I think uh, you had you had an alternative as well you wanted to toss in. Yeah, I picked argumental second. Fun tidbit on that one. Mike Maker actually previously trained that horse and claimed her back two starts ago. So when Maker likes a horse enough to do that, it's a vote of confidence. But you look at that horse... You do see some good works at Ellis Park. No races since March is a little bit of a concern. You get Luis Saez. This is probably going to be your favorite. I think Nick Tamaro got this one exactly right. I picked that one second in this spot. I'm going too deep. The top pick that I've got is number six, Storm Haven, a second-time starter from the Dallas Stewart Barn. Sort of one-paced first time out. Fourth beaten three and a quarter lengths in a similar spot over at Churchill. I don't mind horses that debut and they're sort of one paced. They're still figuring out what they're doing and still running in packs. The blinkers go on. I think that will help this horse immensely. Brian Hernandez Jr. sees fit to ride back. The last workout was solid. I think there's plenty to like. And the post towards the outside, I think, is also a big plus for a horse that doesn't have a lot of experience but doesn't need to move forward much off of that debut performance in order to be a real factor here. On buyers, the last out numbers of 58, that's about par with these. If this one steps forward and runs something in the mid-60s, I think she's got a really big shot. If you're playing a deeper ticket, there's another one that I would consider, and that's number one, it do what it do. Dropping in off of a race against Maiden Special Weights that was won by a next out winner, The thing that scared me off of this one is, while I do think improvement is in the offing, second time out, dropping in class, the rail draw for a horse that didn't break all that well last time out. To me, that's the concern. I would like it do what it do a lot more if it was breaking in the outer half of the field rather than drawing the rail. 
But Gerardo Corrales does see fit to ride back when he probably had some options. Phil Sims horses tend to get better with experience. That one would not surprise me. My ticket is going to be $96, and I'll go through it when we're done. That was the last horse I threw out of this race. And if it turns out that there are some scratches elsewhere in the sequence, I may well throw that one in. Because if that one wins at, say, 10 to 1, 12 to 1, it's going to knock out a lot of tickets. Yeah, I mean, you basically uh, spoke about the two horses I would consider alternatives in the spot. The one, uh, it do what it do. Um, honestly, thinking about it a little bit more, looking at it a little bit closer, um, if my ticket is cheaper in other spots, uh, I think this is definitely one that's going to make it at least as a B-type in, in my tickets here. Um, you know, this is a dropper. This is actually, I think, might be the only horse that's dropping out of uh, Maiden Special Weight here, um, which, you know... I'm not a huge proponent of class drops, but the one time I will look at class drops is, you know, horse drop coming out of um, main special weight into maiden claiming. Um, you know, didn't exactly do a ton of running, but I, I mean, did beat five other horses. It was a it was a key race. You know, you got the the winner coming out and winning next time out. Um, so I, I'm a little interested in this one. I also have not seen a Gerardo Corrales horse I didn't like. So that's uh, that probably doesn't uh, <laughs> that doesn't hurt things. Um, the one thing I did want to know about your six Stormhaven, uh, and it's a super small sample size, but uh, in the last two years, it looks like Dallas Stewart is two for two when he moves up one class, 100% plus $11.70 ROI. So interesting to note, um, you know, it's a real small sample size, but it seems like he doesn't do this often. And when he does, he, he's been spotting his horse as well. So that might be something to, to keep an eye on here with the six Stormhaven. For sure. Also with that pedigree by Nyquist out of an unbridled song mare would not be at all surprised if an outfit with breeding aspirations claimed that horse for eventual use in the breeding barn. That's a heck of a pedigree. Yeah. So race four here, uh, second leg of the pick six, uh, we're going to be going six and a half furlongs for three-year-olds um, on the dirt here. And uh, this is, I think though, this might be the race I went widest in. If I remember, uh, we got a field of nine here. Your morning line favorite is the three overtaxed. You get the, you know, the Todd Pletcher, uh, Todd Pletcher horse Double Thunder here, who I believe was this. Uh, this was a, this was kind of like a like a big name. I think late, was a darn remember, late three, late three year old, right? Now, won two stakes races as a two-year-old, was second in the grade one Breeders' Futurity, went off at 19-1 to in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, came back in two starts this year, though, hasn't shown a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, uh, there was a uh, – and I, I always – I don't know what it is about Mark and I, but we just love rehashing stories when Caleb has talked us off of horses. Um, and in – I believe it was the cross country pick five with that ended in the breeders futurity. I told Caleb, I wanted to use, I think uh, two horses. I wanted to use rattle and roll and double thunder. And he told me to toss both of them. And I was like, I don't know why I listened to him, but uh, that cost me like a six or $7,000. I think it was uh, uh, cross country pick five. But uh, I mean, he's just so convincing. It's sometimes it's just tough to, you know, to, to say anything, uh, to say no to that, that man. But, uh, yeah, I didn't like Eskimos. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't really like either of the favorites here. Uh, my top two picks ended up being the four and the five here, Cathedral beach and uptown hustler. Um, you know, when I looked at this race, I didn't see a whole heck of a lot of pace. If, uh, you know, if, uh, you're watching us on video, I got the Brisbane PPs up, you know, you see a lot of these S and P types in this race. And, you know, the only real E type or early paced horse is this five Uptown Hustler. Now, looking at pace figures, he doesn't look like necessarily the fastest horse. Um, I think um, the seven Gormley's uh, Got Game and the four Cathedral Beach are faster earlier technically. But uh, Uptown Hustler has definitely, uh, you know, shown enough to be close to the front end to, to be given that E designation. So there's a chance this five gets out there, gets on the, gets on the engine and, and just goes. Um, I know it is coming out of the Wesley Ward barn, which of course, like for me, just like sets up some red flags, but uh, Jason Barkley is three for seven on the meet. He's 
placing his horses in great spots. Um, he's 27% with a horse that broke its maiden last out. So uh, I'm really interested in this five here, Uptown Hustler. And if for some reason the, that horse does come out flat, I think the four could all could be the horse that inherits the lead if the five does not go. That's Cathedral Beach for uh, Sappy Joseph Jr. here. Last race, um, you know, kind of kind of was a little bit flat there uh, on the aqueduct surface, and um, I don't necessarily fault the horse. I, I think the aqueduct. I think aqueduct is one of those uh, tracks where you either like it or you don't. And if you go back to that Saratoga race. I love that Saratoga race. Um, you know, coming here first time for Safi Joseph. Um, looks like uh, there was a, the barn change wasn't a claim or anything, but uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I think that this horse can, if this horse can run back to the, to um, his Saratoga figures, I think super deadly in this spot. Um, where did you kind of land, Andrew? I completely agree with you on Cathedral Beach. I love the two races at Saratoga. The last out effort was not bad was second beaten five lengths by a horse named Letty, who has some serious talent, comes back into the claiming ranks. Now, starter allowance to claiming races, there are times where that's not really a class drop. You've really got to read the conditions. I think this is a slight class drop for Cathedral Beach. Tyler Gaffley owns he's fit to ride for Safi. First time Safi is just something you can't ignore. Cathedral Beach, to me, hits me as the most likely winner. I think is very likely to sit a good trip just off the pace, pounce turning for home. There's another one that I think you should look at at a bit of a price. I'm not crazy about overtaxed. The two wins this horse has were in a below average maiden race at Oakland and a race that completely fell apart. And I just think Double Thunder may be over the top and this screams like a dump by Todd Pletcher. I prefer the horse drawn to the rail. That's number one, Boise, who goes first time dirt. You don't see that often at Keeneland. You don't see a lot of horses that have never run on conventional dirt before. But look at Boise's sheet. It's all turf and all synthetic. And this is a horse that's accomplished a fair bit. Was a stakes winner as a two-year-old. Ran second in a stakes race uh, back in April at Golden Gate Fields. Last time out, won a decent little optional claiming event. Going six furlongs in 110 over that synthetic surface, that's a very fast time. You do not see many six furlong splits in 110 over that surface. Boise's been working well since shipping to Keeneland. That October 8th work, 16th fastest of 134 at the distance. I don't think dirt's going to be a problem. I do think the rail's a little bit of a concern, but I see the likely price, and I see a horse that just going off of speed figures, absolutely fits in this race. If Boise takes to dirt, I think Boise's got a really big shot. That's obviously not a small if, but given the price, I'll take Boise at eight to one rather than taking overtaxed at five to two or double thunder at three to one or whatever those two are going to go off at when those two have pretty significant tactical holes in their resumes, especially given that this race, as you mentioned, doesn't have a ton of early speed signed on. So I'll be 4-1 in here. I'm too deep trying to get a little bit of a price on. Yeah, the the other horse that I was interested in here, I did I know I mentioned briefly when I was talking about the pace scenario here, is Gormley's Got Game for uh, Grant Forrester and Ray Lou Gutierrez. Um this is just another horse that like I said, if this 5 doesn't go, this 7 could also possibly inherit the lead. Um, you know, if you kind of go back to those Belterra races, um, you know, has shown some really, really good early speed going 22 and one 45 and one, um, and, you know, opening up and, and winning by three quarters of the length going six furlongs there. Um, that looks like the race four back and Belterra. Now, obviously like I'm, I'm kind of digging deep, right? <laughs> last, last time at uh, Churchill did run a nice race, finished second by a neck. Um, and I think that those kind of two races, Really, really fit in here. Coming off a of bullet work um, at four furlongs at uh, the the Churchill training track. So, I don't know. I, I think this horse is going to come in keyed up. You get Ray Lou Gutierrez aboard. And, you know, Ray Lou is a student of the game. He understands pace. And if something happens and he sees the opportunity to get the lead, I mean, he's going to take it. And he's going to go. So, 15 to 1 on the morning line. We'll see what kind of price we get. 
going to be kind of, an, like I said, an outsider, I think, in this field. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kind of use this, like I said, in, in a ticket possibly. Um, but it's definitely another one I'm looking at here, the seven Gormley's got game. Fun fact, Raylu Gutierrez, one of less than five graduates from the State University of New York at Cortland that I like. <laughs> I went to Ithaca College, look up the Cortica Jug football game. It's a blast. Oh, goodness. Uh, you you and your um, uh, you and your grudges. Yeah, There's trust a... <laughs> me. I, I, in the words of my father, I'm Sicilian. I hold grudges better than just about anybody. Oh goodness! <laughs> uh, race five here. We got a hundred and ten thousand dollar allowance race going a mile and the eighth on the turf here. Um, there's a star next to this mile and the eighth. What, why is there a star next to it? There are a couple of races in this sequence that are about a mile and an eighth. Pet peeve here, just sidetracking. I hate when tracks do this because <laughs> it comes off like what Gulfstream did when it became abundantly clear that races were just not being right at the wrong distances. They called them about as opposed to running them at the correct distances. Just run the races at the correct distances. It's not hard. Um, yeah, we got a, uh, we got a nice field here. Once again, um, that's the thing about Kentucky racing, man. You just always get these full fields and, uh, you got 11 in this race. Um, I think your morning line favorite is going to be the two running B at three to one on the morning line. Andrew, I think I've taken the first two races. How do you, what are you thinking here? Single. Uh, running B to me looks like the most logical winner in a sequence that doesn't have a lot of horses that are going to go off at prohibitively short prices. The race this one ran two back at Saratoga was excellent. Broke the maiden by nearly four lengths. Did have a perfect trip that day, but ran really well. An 85 buyer speed figure, 92 on the bridge sheets. Ran well enough to where the Connections decided to ship to Kentucky Downs and take a shot in the Dueling Grounds Derby. This horse was less than 7-1 to one in a grade 3 stakes race for a significant amount of money and just bounced. I have no problem drawing a line through that race. A repeat of the race two back almost certainly gets this one the money. And look, if you are playing the pick six... Unless you've got ridiculously deep pockets, you're going to need to take a stand somewhere with at least one single. Running B is mine. Three to one on the morning line, and I wouldn't be surprised if this one went off at, say, eight to five, nine to five, given the connections involved with Tyler Gaffleone riding for Chad. I just think running B is sitting on a much improved effort in this spot, has some tactical speed, doesn't need the lead in order to run well. It, it certainly seems like one of those instances where – if you're going to take a stand in races that have big fields, this is just a logical spot to do that. Yeah. And you know, you kind of brought up the dueling grounds derby there, that grade three race at Kentucky downs, similar to what we said earlier about aqueduct. Some horses just do not take to that surface, the undulations going uphill, going downhill, uh, the crazy, like little turn, like left-hand turn that, uh, happens in there. Um, or a right-hand turn, excuse me. Um, it, it just, it's just a weird track. Um, speed on some of those days was just unbeatable. And it looks like this horse did try to chase the pace and just kind of fold it up and, you know, um, you know, just, you know, finished way out of it. Sometimes that's what happens. You chase the pace, and if, if it's if it's too fast, if it's not what you want, if you don't like the surface, the horse just kind of quits. Um, I, that Saratoga race, I think, is is the best in this field uh, by by a ton, um, and I expect this horse to run a little bit closer to the uh, the Saratoga form. You get uh, Tyler Gaffleone, who's an excellent turf rider in the state of Kentucky. Um, he he knows all of the Kentucky tracks very well, so um, you know. There are other jocks in town that Chad might nor use normally more, but doesn't really, you know, change my mind here. I I, I think running B is uh is is definitely a a press is an A lone A in this spot. Um, the other horse I did take a look at, and I don't know if I'm going to use. Um, I, I have a markdown as a B here. Is the number eleven? catnip for michael stidham and brian hernandez jr we might need the defensive b alert uh i don't know if it's going to be i don't know if it's defensive um but uh 
you know, just kind of looking at uh, the way that this race sets up, I'm not seeing speed again. This is just another thing where it's just like, yeah, I I think that the two is definitely your best your best um, your best horse here. But I mean, who's gonna who's going to the front? You know, and and I think that the eleven might just be the horse that kind of gets out there, inherits the lead. I I'm, I from that outside post, it might be the best game plan going forward. Um, I just don't know if six to one is the price I want to take, especially because I'm very very. I have a very, very strong feeling on this, too. So, like you said, I don't have deep pockets. You don't have deep pockets. We might have to make a, we gotta make a stand somewhere. I think that uh, this, too, might be the place where I make the stand. Alternative, you know, if you're feeling, if you're feeling uh, you know, like you need one here, I think the 11 makes a ton of sense. You mentioned the pace setup. And I don't know if you heard me or not, but I think the 8, setting of the wise might also go early. This is another one where I think you just take the Kentucky Downs race and throw it out. The race two back at Saratoga, he ran second behind a horse named Credit Event, who was being aimed at a couple of stakes races before he unfortunately passed away. Three starts back, third in the Caesars at Indiana Grand behind a next out winner. There is some talent there. And if you can forgive that race at Kentucky Downs, doesn't look horribly out of place in here. Maybe the play in here is just a 2-8, exacta. The 8, 15 to 1 on that morning line. And I think you're going to get that kind of price if you like that horse and certainly does seem to have the tactical speed in a race that's light on it. But Chad looks tough. Yep. Moving on here. Race six. Going six furlongs here on the dirt for Phillies and Mares three year olds and up. Optional claimer, 80,000 N2X here. Um, and uh, you got a short price favorite here in. Uh, Ooh, Zainal Rob. You got uh, it. Close enough. No, uh, you for... got it. I've seen this horse run a couple of times. You're, uh, <laughs> you're closer than you think. <laughs> uh, Brendan Walsh and Irad Ortiz uh, at two to one here. You got Ride the Plan at three to one. Um, and I'm just in this field of eight here. I'm not really interested in either of them. Um, you know, I. I landed on, I, I believe I only got two horses here. Let me just make sure I didn't mark any B horses. I did not. Um, I landed in the two outside horses here, the seven Magic Quest and the eight Capellia. Um, you know, the seven Magic Quest is going to be my top pick here. Um, you know, I think that that Ellis Park race, you know, I know it was August of 21, and this horse is coming off a very long layoff or, or had a long layoff and then ran it at, at Churchill. Um, but if this horse can kind of get back up to where they were at the end of last year. Um, I think that this horse is in here with a huge shot. I think this horse gets out there on the engine, on the front end, and just and wins. Um, you know, I, I think George Arnold is t- taking his time with this horse. George Arnold is 20% second off the layoff. You know, don't even think about that last race. That last race basically paid work. Just forget about it. This horse coming off uh, over a year layoff. I think second time out, I think this is when you're going to want to get it. Six to one on the morning line. I don't know if you get that. Um, I, I haven't looked at buyer, but I'm guessing that that Ellis Park figure from two back is probably pretty competitive in this spot. Um, and, uh, you know, if for some reason this horse still does come out does come out flat, this eight Capellia for uh, Phil Bauer, Bauer and uh, Martin Garcia, um, you know, has, has gotten a couple seconds here. It looks like the horse has gotten better with age, gotten better as the season has continued here, fired a really nice race last time out, has come back working, and has been fi- fired a bullet last time out here, one of 32, 47, and one, uh, four furlong work. Um, so I think this horse is cranked up, ready to go. If the seven doesn't fire, I think your eight's going to be the one that kind of gets out there early on the front end or sits just off the seven. And I think you're going to have a, you're going to have a good shot if you got both the seven and eight in here. Well, we agree on one of them. I love Magic Quest in this spot. Six to one on the morning line, as you mentioned. I don't think we'll get that, but I don't think it's going to get hammered. I think we're probably going to get four to one, nine to two. Rusty Arnold buys Keeneland both the fall and the spring meets as much as any trainer in the game. That last race, yes, this horse probably needed one. Could you uh, circle those fractions for me, please, in your uh, your handy dandy uh, artistic style there? Twenty one and two and forty four and four. That's flying, 
Magic Quest was, there was no way that horse was going to hang on during those fractions. Second off the bench, I think is going to be far tighter in this spot. Luis Saez lands here when he probably had a couple of options. I think there's a lot to like. The other one that I'm going to throw in is number two, and I, I I can't say this with a straight face, just so you know, Bomb Diggity is the name of the <laughs> horse. Uh, do me a favor and cross out that race three back where the running line that says squeezed back is absolutely accurate. And look at what you're left with. You're left with a horse that, with the exception of the debut, hasn't run a bad race. Steve Asmussen brings this one in off a little bit of a rest. We haven't seen her since June, but I like the work pattern. You see the work two back, five furlongs and 101.3 breezing from the gate. That's a solid work. I love when Asmussen does that. When the work two back is faster than the most recent work, indicates that the horse just has the fitness level that he's looking for and I think has a big shot. Tactical speed doesn't necessarily need the lead in order to run well. I'm 7-2 in here. Zaino Larab is 2-1 to one on the morning line. I just have doubts on this horse. Yes, this horse ran several races early in the career that would make her tough to beat. The two Keeneland races, though, are just too bad for me to completely throw out. I'd be willing to forgive one poor effort. There's two of them there. And after that, it looked like Chad Brown decided to try to make her into a turf horse. It's not like she ran horribly there, but where were the excuses? This is a horse that had enough talent to where she was five to one in a grade two race late last year. And she hasn't won in over a year. Now goes to a different barn, albeit one that is incredibly talented, retains a Rod Ortiz, which is fine, Two to one just seems way too short for my liking. If she wins, will I be surprised? No. Will I have her at two to one or anything close to it? No. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of had the same line of thinking as you um, because I was confused with the fact that Chad put this horse on turf after trying it on dirt so many races um, and had solid dirt races. But if you look at the two Keelan races, I mean, coming right back to Keeneland, uh, why would you expect this horse to run, you know, run well on the Keeneland surface when it looks like just didn't like the surface? I mean, the horse was coming in with great form into that uh, Raven run and then came in fresh. You know, Chad fires his horses fresh. No excuses at all in that April uh, 15th race. Uh, I mean, I'm just guessing this horse just doesn't like the Keeneland dirt. So I, I'm definitely going to fade at, at two to one if it beats me, you know, at at nine to five, eight to five, seven to five, whatever, you know. Oh well, let's maybe we'll cash five or six. That's a favorite. You're just supposed to try to beat. I think. What about the four? Ride the plan. Was there any that? That's the other short price in here. Yeah, I didn't necessarily hate that one. Just preferred others. Comes in off of a race at Kentucky Downs. You had mentioned early speed did very well there. This one ran okay coming from off the pace. My hesitation comes from the fact that this horse won two in a row before that at a pair of very quirky racetracks where form doesn't always travel. You see Hawthorne and you see Colonial. It's not necessarily that the racing there is poor. I am not saying that. Don't burn me at the stake for that Hawthorne and Colonial Loyalists. I like your products very much. It's just there are some tracks where horses really like them or really hate them. And you just have to take that form with a grain of salt when they shift elsewhere. As far as speed figures go, fits. But again, given the fact that my ticket is going to be fairly small, I just decided to ride with two others. If I was going to include a third one, that would be the one I would use. All right. We're in leg five here, race seven, uh, going a mile and eighth, about a mile and eighth on the turf, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we're going here for uh, three-year-olds and up. And... Um, Let's scroll down here. Big Looks field. Like we, yeah, we do got a big field. We got a field of 11. We got one MTO here, the the 12 uh, Hippodrome. Um, and uh, your morning line favorite here is the 11, uh, Jeru. Uh, the 7, Al's Rocket, 7 to 2. Verstappen here, the 6 at 9 to 2. And then you, you kind of get you, you kind of get some prices uh, after that. Um, where did you kind of land here? 
Yeah, so I thought this race was fairly formful. My top selection is number six, Verstappen. Has a little bit more speed than a couple of the other horses that I'm using. Uh, last time out of Kentucky Downs, ran a good second, beaten a length by a next out winner. Uh, starts before that, were fairly solid. The thing to worry about from a figure standpoint is this gelding took a big step forward last time out, at least on buyer numbers. Ran an 86 last time out. Before that, the career high was a 74. So you have to wonder if there's going to be a bounce. But this is also a three-year-old late in the three-year-old campaign. Maybe he's just starting to figure things out. And for that reason, I've got to use him, especially given the likely race shape where I do think there is some speed that this one can sit just behind and get first run on beneath that guy, Tyler Gaffleone, who, as we've mentioned, runs rides as well as anybody in Kentucky on the turf courses there. Um Horse that I have for second is number seven, Al's Rocket, who's a closer that does need some pace, but ran very well last time out to be beaten just a length and a blanket finish at Aqueduct. Uh, the runners that finished ahead of that one were pretty solid. Celestial City came right back to, I believe, win a stakes race off of that. So being that less than a length off of that one, no shame in that. Taking a look at either Giroux or Giroux, first of all, why isn't Florent riding this horse hmm. like all the time? Come on, this this markets itself, people. Let's make that happen. But while I'm using this horse, it would probably be classified as a defensive B. In my defense, it's the fifth leg of a pick six. And if we get here, we've beaten a couple of favorites along the way. So my problem here isn't the fact that this horse doesn't fit on figures. It does. My problem is not that there isn't enough pace in here. There's some pace. I see 20 starts. I see two wins and seven seconds. Some horses are just pack animals. Some horses need everything to go right. And some horses tend to find trouble. You look at the trip notes, you see things like wide on the turn, bobble bumped at the start, altering paths a bunch of different ways. You get the sense that Giroux, Giroux, whatever you want to call him, is not an easy horse to ride. Breaks from the 11 hole, on this Keeneland turf course. Now, Luis Saez put forth a masterclass in how to ride from the far outside on Sunday when he got a horse named Street Ready Home at six to one, getting that horse over by the first turn, winding up settling that one down and having enough left. That was a fantastic, fantastic performance there. But can Jero win? Yes. Will I be using that one? Yeah. If you're playing a smaller ticket than I am, I wouldn't hate the idea of throwing that one out and trying to beat it. If I get to leg five of six at four of four, though, this is just a horse that I don't want beating me. But in order, six, seven, 11 for me. There we go. By the way, I want it noted. You did not press that button on yourself. When yeah, I, I know. I, I felt bad. I felt bad. So that's, why, that's why you only got, that's why you only got the, the slight defensive B uh, alert okay. there for those uh, those uh, listening to us on uh, on audio here. Um, I love the six for stopping here. Um, you know, I, I think you, you basically highlighted everything I saw. Um, you know, Brendan Walsh and Tyler normally win at a higher clip than the six percent that they've been winning uh, hitting at the the last two months. Um, but I think that with this race, this number is going to go up a little bit. Horse, horse is going to be forwardly placed, I think, can win from just off the pace, can win from, you know, on the pace, um, you know, lightly raced horse in 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 this kind of field. So I love the six for stopping here. Um, the other horse I am going to use is going to be the four, Brazilianaire. Um, and, uh, you know, Brazilianaire, uh, I think, is probably your pace setter in this race. Uh, has one on the engine, is coming off of three straight wins, was uh, claimed off of uh, Tom Morley, and ended up winning an allowance race with Jeremiah Englehart. Uh, Jeremiah Englehart doesn't ship very many to um, Kentucky, uh, but he does have three starts on the meet with only one third, but he's shipping this one. You get Francisco Arrieta, who's uh, you know a fine jock, uh, aggressive. He likes to be on the front end. So um, I, I think this might set up nicely here for the four. Might get out there on and get it all his own way. Um, so I'm going to be using the four Brazilian air here along with the six uh, Verstappen. 
Brazilian Air is certainly in good form, has won three in a row, won a couple of times at Saratoga as part of that Javier Castellano, Tom Morley tag team that won everything in sight for a couple of weeks. But I worry about two turns with that one. The mile and an eighth, I think, is a little bit uncharted territory. And whereas earlier in the sequence, we talked about a horse coming out of a starter allowance race and it being a slight step down in class, I think this is a step up. There are some nice horses in this spot. But could Brazilian Air potentially get comfortable? Maybe. I think Wake Surf is going to go early beneath Martin Garcia. And I think those two are the most likely pace setters in this spot. And there are a couple of stalkers, including the horse we both like for stopping. So I wouldn't hate that horse as an underneath play. It's just the mile and an eighth, a little bit of an unknown. Given the price you're likely to get, though, I don't hate that play. I would hate that play if it was nine to two as opposed to the nine to one you're probably going to get. All right. Race eight, seven furlong, maiden claiming, fourth, 40,000, three-year-olds and up here. Uh, and we're going to close it out here with, um, you know, kind of a tough race. I, I had a hard time uh, with this one. Um, I landed uh, on three horses in this spot. Um, I guess we can kind of start with uh, the the shortest of the prices. The 11 Apollo Rising, I thought, made a lot of sense in this spot. Uh, Helen Pitts and Martin Garcia, uh, not exactly – Helen Pitts, not exactly a household name with um, uh, training. You know, he's only got 34 starts this year. Uh, has won 12% of them, uh, so does have a couple of wins here. Um, and I, I just foresee this horse improving second time out. Uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, definitely a, um, in my opinion, a kind of a turfy pedigree here with uh, Caraconti on top. Uh, but um, you know that last race, you know, certainly fits in this spot. Uh, there's there's no world beaters here. Is stepping up in class technically, uh, but you know, it's going from thirty thousand to forty thousand. Um, you know, how much of a difference is there really there in, in, in these types of races? Um, so, so I did like the 11 Apollo rising, um, little worried that maybe the horse might be a little too far out of it, which I think is kind of what happened at, at Churchill. Um, I think Keeneland can be a little bit fairer of a track. So maybe that run style fits a little bit better here at Keeneland, but, um, Apollo rising was definitely, um, definitely a horse I'm going to use. Uh, the other one that is definitely an A for me. Uh, is this six rough sketch? Uh, we talked about Gerardo Corrales before. Uh, I have very rarely seen a Gerardo Corrales horse that I didn't like. Um, you know, this horse coming in here uh, for Ben Colbrook. Um, I, 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 that race last time out, slow, bumped at the start. I just really was out of it from the start. And I think once the start was that bad, they just kind of, hey, this is a paid work. Let's just go around, go around once and, and, you know, we'll, we'll live to see another day coming in here, dropping in class, um, has been working very consistently, had a nice 47 and one work two back, uh, came in with what looks to be a maintenance work here at Keeneland. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I see this horse improving. This horse is, is dropping in class a little bit, uh, is getting blinkers for the first time. Gerardo's going to want to get this horse out early, and I think is going to be aggressive. Um, and I think um, I think this is going to set up nicely here for the six. I think you're going to get a nice price. Um, and the last horse, you know, was the three master game. Um, you know, this horse certainly fits on figures, um, but – you know, Todd, I don't know if, if it was this was a private purchase or if Todd just gave up on the horse after that first start, finishing second, um, and went into Mark Cassie's barn. Um if if I knew the horse was was sound and was was gonna, you know, run back to um the horse's first efforts, um, I, I think this horse certainly fits here, is gonna be aggressive. Um, but that's a heck of a drop. And to see the horse kind of go on dirt try them on a turf and then come back here to dirt again. And the horse has just had three progressively worse starts. I have a hard time including this type of horse at a short price. Um, so this is, this is kind of like that horse. Like if it wins, am I going to be surprised? No, I, I just don't think in good conscience I can use this horse. I think, I think if, if we were to sound the defensive B alert, uh, I would rather use the, other horses I had listed as bees earlier as uh, than this one, um, and and I really just don't think 
unless my other two horses scratch out, I have a hard time wanting to use this horse here. Master game is supposed to be a pretty overwhelming favorite in this spot, I feel. You see five to two on the morning line, I think might edge a little bit shorter than that. Second off a layoff, dropping in class, big works. If you're going to try to defend master game here, and I'm using master game, the last two workouts since that September 13th misfire at Kentucky Downs, excellent. But if the workouts are that good, why is this horse running for 40,000 against maiden claimers in the finale? right? It's logical to ask these questions when you're talking about a horse that's going to be favored. My top selection is the same as yours. Number 11, Apollo Rising, makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned Helen Pitts. She is the answer to an all-time great trivia question. She was the original trainer of Curlin before that horse was purchased by Stone Street and sent to Steve Asmussen. Helen Pitts had that horse got that horse onto Stone Street's radar, and then the private purchase happened and Curlin became Curlin in all capital letters. Mm -hmm. Helen Pitts can flat out train, gets a really cushy outside post position, second timeout has every right to improve off of a decent debut performance. I like number six, Rough Sketch, as well, as those that are watching the video can attest. When you gave that horse out, I was doing this very <laughs> aggressively. This is a horse for whom the debut was a complete throwout. Corrales had some options, rides back for a barn that isn't all that big. That alone makes this a little bit curious. Takes a little bit of a drop in class from the Maiden 75 down to the Maiden 40, adds blinkers, has shown enough in the mornings to make me think this one has more talent than the odds board would indicate. The other one that I want to talk about a little bit is number 10, Point of an Affair, a first-time starter from the Tom Drury barn. It's time for me to explain the suck factor to all of you out there. When you have a maiden claiming race and you have a lot of horses that have shown they don't necessarily want to win, what's the harm in looking at a first-time starter that doesn't need to be much in order to run well? That's point of an affair in this spot. There are a couple of very strong workouts. The October 16th drill in particular jumps off the page. Third fastest of 79 at Churchill Downs. Now, Tom Drury's horses sometimes need a race to get going. I look at that pedigree and I see point of entry, and I don't exactly think this horse wants to go seven furlongs on dirt, but that's not everything. Edgar Morales signs on, and while he's only 5% on the meet, he has had a very good year overall, establishing himself as one of the more consistent riders on the Kentucky circuit. I like the outside draw here, and again, does not have to be much in order to run well. I'm going four deep using the three horses you mentioned along with point of an affair. If we get to this point, I like my chances of cashing because anyone else in this field would strike me as a, a real surprise if they were to wind up hopping up. And honestly, if that happens, we're probably looking at a two-day carryover. Yeah, I um, I did look at the 10 as kind of the, the sole... Uh, I, I think as a sole first-time starter in this field, um, I, I just kind of thought the horses, the horses with some starts, actually looked good in this spot. So I, I wasn't just going to use what I think is uh, probably more of a turf horse uh, eventually here uh, in uh, in the ten point of an affair. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's a total valid uh, angle to try and use uh, the new face, the new shooter, right? The one that that you don't know if it's that bad yet. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I got, I got your ticket here. Um, and then for those of you listening, uh, it's a, it's a dollar pick six. Uh, you got two, six with one, four with two, with two, seven, with six, seven, 11, with three, six, 10, 11. looks like a $96 play. Uh, and, and obviously you got the one single there that lets you kind of go a little bit deeper in that last leg where it is a little bit le uh, less certain on, on what's going to happen there. Um, and I, I didn't really put out a ticket. I kind of just put my picks together in what, uh, how I have them. Um, if you're watching on video, the ones in parentheses are what I would consider B type horses. Hit um, the button, hit the button. I'm not going to hit the button. Hit the button. Uh, but, uh, the I got the one and the two in the first leg with the one being a B four five seven with the seven being a B uh, two eleven with the eleven being a B seven eight 
with four six with three six eleven the three being a b um but yeah i i definitely don't see myself using like i said that that three in that last leg unless um unless we see the the race change with uh with a lot of scratches here the argument for that is if you structured a ticket where you've taken stances in several other legs and you're extracting value out of your strong opinions and you get all the way to the last leg do you want to get knocked out by a horse that wouldn't shock you and it's a valid ticket question if you're taking a stance against that horse i hear you i thoroughly understand that but if you're taking the stances early to ensure that you can spread late and give yourself some options to hit if you get there. It's just one of those great ticket philosophy questions that has no right answer and will undoubtedly get certain people on horse racing Twitter very, very upset. Well, yeah, I mean, you just want all the winners on your tickets and not the losers or as few losers as possible. Well, yeah, you balance that, especially when it comes to a pick six. When you're looking at a pick three or a pick four, it's a little bit different because you can really hammer your strongest opinions because there's less races. Whereas on a pick six ticket, yes, I'm trying to go against a couple of favorites, but it's not to try to go against the grain or anything like that. It's because I legitimately believe those favorites are vulnerable. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, though. Uh, You brought up this point when we first started, rather, um, about the dollar pick six right i mean the dollar pick six really makes me think like do i really want to spend the extra 24 or however many dollars adding that three in the last leg is going to be right you know at at that point it, it gets very expensive to to use horses defensively and i and that's a good thing i i think that's a good thing for for players and i think that the the fifty cent the twenty cent bets sometimes, especially like fifty cent like pick three for example, I feel like that really hammers home like oh, I could play a twenty seven dollar ticket with you know, all these different combinations fifty four combinations and it's just like no like how often does a fifty cent pick three you know pay one hundred and fifty dollars or whatever to make your you know, twenty seven the twenty seven dollar investment actually, you know, seem worthwhile. So sure, yeah, um, yeah. I, I I definitely think in in a pick six, like like I say, like I know you're like, hey, like you don't want to get knocked out of it by that horse, and like, well, that's true. It's like I don't know if I want to pay for that horse either. Right, for sure. Yeah, it's just it's a matter of ticket structure and whatnot, and it's a case where I've opted to go against favorites in the early part of the legs and go narrow early so that I can go three deep in the fifth leg and four deep in the sixth leg. And if we wind up going four for four, all of a sudden, I really like my chances. But I hear what you're talking about, too, and there's validity to saying, well, from the structure of from a ticket structure standpoint, how much more does the last leg matter than the first couple? Aren't they all just equal parts and don't you still need them all? It, it's a that's part is a really cool discussion. Cool. What uh, what do you got going on this week? Any uh, any any stuff to plug? Well, let's see. So I recently recorded an episode of the old wrestling rewatch on That's What She Said with Gino Bacola. We talked about the 1991 Chamber of Horrors match at Halloween Havoc that year. If you're into the uh, arts of the squared circle, go check that out on his show. Mainly, though, a lot of my time is spent at the day job. Uh, Most of my time from nine to five is spent uh, administrating playca.com, which has a whole bunch of updates on the race to legalize California sports betting. There are two different propositions that will go to the polls two weeks from tonight. We are recording this on October 25th, election day, November 8th. Doesn't look good for either uh, Proposition 26 or Proposition 27, and we've got that covered from a variety of different angles. Once the election comes and goes, I'll be transitioning more so to the launch of online sports betting in Maryland and the full-scale launch of sports betting in Ohio, which is scheduled for 12 a.m. on New Year's Day. So to those of you in Ohio that were responsible for that, thank you for blowing our holiday season. (laughs) 
<laughs> on a serious note, though, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. It's uh, I, I, I very much enjoy my job. For those who don't know, I worked in the gambling industry full time for HRTV, TVG and the Daily Racing Forum until late 2018. Sort of meandered out of that into the nonprofit space for a couple of years. Came back into the gambling space full time in January of this year and just Cannot speak highly enough of the people that I work with at Katina Media, the company itself. It's a lot of fun and it feels good to be doing what I feel like I was meant to do. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we got our stream uh, Thursday night. We're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be Breeders' Cup centric. So we're going to be looking ahead at some of the European uh, horses coming over. Um, you know, Caleb and Mark, they definitely follow it. Um, much more closely than I do. Um, but I think I'm going to, you know, at least pick a couple races to watch start doing some replay work uh and just just see what we see coming uh coming across uh, across the way i did see a couple of uh, very key defections already uh horses Black either beard. being retired blackbeard uh there was another one as well from i believe the juvenile um was it the juvenile philly and uh juvenile philly's turf um blue rosen also is out due to uh, retirement, and I think those are two um, two really big, um, really big. I, I don't know was Blackbeard going to be favorite. I know Blue Rosen. I think uh, people had as as a favorite, but uh, Blackbeard was going to take a lot of money, and it's it's unfortunate when any horse gets retired early. And look, before anybody says anything, I'm not bashing Coolmore for doing right by the horse. Okay, I'm not going there. Josh, don't you miss when horses just ran? You know, I, I remember a couple of, um, was it two years ago when Tis the Law, um, you know, they, they, they were like, okay, yeah, we're definitely going to run in the um, Pegasus or we're going to run in the Pegasus, we're going to keep running. And then sometime in like December, in December, they're like, yeah, we're retiring the horse. And I was like, oh, going the stud, right? And uh, I, I think um, Sakatoga, I think, replied to it. They didn't like that. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, well, well, what a surprise. Like, I, no, everyone knew he wasn't going to run, right? And they're like, well, he was hurt. And it's like, like, it's tough, right? Like, the, the fan gets put in a hard place because, yeah, like, we, we really don't know. Like, we're not, we're not the owners of the horses. We're not with them every day. So, yeah, you know, we are, we are coming from a place of ignorance, right? But at the same time, it's like, how frustrating is it that um, more often than not, uh, once a horse gets to the end of their three year, a good, a really, really good horse gets to the end of their three year old season, we're never going to see him again. We're never going to see him run again. It's, so. it's unfortunate. And I understand it. From an economics perspective, neither of us are stupid. The money is in the breeding game, it's just the way that it is. And because of that, there are instances where the tail, which is the breeding industry, is wagging the dog, which is the racing industry. And I'm not going to fault anybody for taking the money and making sure that they're retiring their horses to where they can have long stud careers. I get that's where the money is. But we're breeding horses that don't run as much, don't run for as long. We've got a full count that is historically low. And we've got races that are running with four, five horses. Look at the New York turf races with Chad Brown having three or four of five or six horse fields. Nobody wants that. Chad Brown might. Good for Chad Brown. Good for his owners. But from the standpoint of the game, it wasn't long ago where horses were running 8, 10, 12 times a year even. And you were able to follow these horses from the start of the year to the end of the year. Flightline is fantastic. Might be one of the most three or four talented horses I have seen in my God, it's almost 30 years of following this game. He's going to run three times this year. If you were to ask me if he runs in the Pegasus, if he wins the Breeders' Cup the way he won the Pacific Classic, I don't think he goes there. And from a financial standpoint, I don't think you take the risk. But horse that runs three times, horses that run eight or ten times in a year, and you're able to follow them and really make it appointment viewing when they show up, I miss that. And that's not the way racing is handled in other countries. You look in Australia, these horses are running back every two or three weeks like clockwork and nobody bats an eye. Here, you run a horse back in two weeks and you get people saying, oh, it's short rest, it's short rest. And they're not wrong to say that because 
not a lot of trainers do that anymore. Yeah, no. And you want to know what's even what's what's funny too is um, you know, I was thinking about um I was thinking about uh Vino Rosso, right? And uh, you know, Vino Rosso was one of those um horses that kind of you know developed a little bit uh a little bit later. But even looking at Vino Rosso, like I mean, how many uh what he he ran fifteen times, right? Um so ran fifteen times and ran in the twenty seventeen, ran twenty eighteen, ran twenty nineteen. So what ran till he was five. Um I mean, his last race was his best race. He he proceeded to get as good and ran one of the I think one of the fastest um, thoroughbred figures that that they had ever seen in that last race. And like, hey, like, when's the next time we're gonna see that? Right, a horse that in their five year old season is gonna is gonna do that. I mean, I don't right. know. By the way, Vino Rosso, uh, the victim of one of the worst disqualifications I have ever seen when he got taken down in the Jockey Club Gold Cup for absolutely no logical reason. I stand by that. One of the worst DQs in a major race that I have ever seen. If you haven't seen that race, it's up on YouTube. Look it up and tell me where a foul is. You can't do it. <laughs> uh, and actually, I, I misspoke. He was four. He wasn't five. Uh, right. I, forget. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing him run in his two-year-old season. And I remember looking at the pedigree and I remember thinking Belmont winner. I remember thinking that this is a horse that wants to run all day, isn't going to have that brilliant turn of foot, but is going to keep grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding. Shocker turned into a really good four-year-old that ran one of the best races nobody remembers in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Nobody remembering it, of course, because of what happened to Mongolian Groom and the stretch of that race. If you go looking for the stretch run of that race, you're probably not going to see it anywhere. All right. Well, that's going to do it for nice us. Here. Happy yeah, way yeah, to nice and happy way to end it. That's going to do it for us here on episode three of Drank and Champagne. Uh, thanks again, Andrew, for doing this. Uh, and you guys can uh, catch him at, at Andrew Champagne on Twitter. Uh, obviously, I'm at Cherry Drank, uh, at wrong underscore lead on Twitter for our On the Wrong Lead uh, feed. Uh, Andrew wearing a nice shirt there. You can buy that at ontherunglead.com. Check out our blogs and our articles, videos, everything on there. Um, and uh, yeah, we will catch you guys later. <laughs>